We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, I'm, we're delighted to be joined once again by William Kajani, the political betting analyst and a previewer mm-hmm. and content creator for Star Sports. Welcome back to the podcast, William. Thank you very much. I'm extremely excited to be here at the beginning of a very momentous week, a feast of democracy awaits. So what better way to start it than being with you two? <laughs> That's a wonderful sentiment, uh, William. Thank you for expressing it. And it really is a, a feast of democracy. So the first question that I'd like to ask is, um, there are obviously a, a plethora of elections uh, happening at the moment we, um, that are going to be uh, happening uh, during this week. We're going to be having mayoral elections, police and crimes commissioner elections, local elections, elections uh, in Scotland, Wales, and of course, the parliamentary uh, by-election in Hartlepool. So to begin, um, could you just give a brief outline of what sort of elections uh, we're going to be seeing? What kind of scope of elections we'll be seeing this week? Happy to. Um, the scope is massive and it's all across the UK or certainly all across, uh, I think, each nation but Northern Ireland. Um, so in Scotland, you have parliamentary elections to Holyrood. Um, these don't work like general elections. They're different, um, firstly, because you're electing MSPs and secondly, because it's um, a two-vote category system. So you'll have um, a constituency list. That's where the most votes wins. Then you'll have um, a list vote um, where proportionality is applied. So when you've been looking at the polls recently, if you have, or when you look at the polls to get an idea of what's happening, you'll see often two categories. Um, now, all of those um, results are tied together. Um, there's a split in how the MSPs are chosen, but it all comes to 129, and you need 65 seats for majority, um, for majority control. Of course, that's the big thing the SNP are trying to go for, but there's lots of angles there. You have elections to the Welsh Senate. Um, I'm really hoping that I've pronounced that correctly. Please tell me if I've not. Um, and in principle, much the same thing with many of the same questions as well. Um, we, of course, have campaigns for independence in Wales and Scotland, which have been picking up steam, um, Wales especially over the last year. Um, in England, there are a huge bevy of elections. Um, so let me try and go through them as best I can. Um, firstly, uh, police commissioners. I know I should have started with councils, but I see police commissioners first for notes, so forgive me. Um, there are lots of councils and lots of mayoralities. So the mayors of London, the Birmingham area, uh, Bristol, Greater Manchester, Liverpool City region, um, and then of course the West of England and the West Midlands, they're all being elected. Um, you have lots of councils, um, you have police commissioners too, and you have a huge amount of results because there are hundreds and hundreds of council seats potentially up for grabs. So, oh, and of course, how could I have forgotten, there's a by-election in Hartlepool. Um, the small matter of a by-election in Hartlepool, um, small matter of a Red Wall by-election, that's taking place also um, on Thursday 
So lots and lots to get stuck into. Um, and an election or a set of elections of really big consequences um, for the future. You mentioned the Hollyford by-election. Now, um, that's obviously going to be one of the sort of biggest results of the night, whichever way it goes, yeah. um, caused by the um, resignation of the former MP. And at the last election, it Labour won it with um, uh, the majority a lot smaller than it used to be over the Conservatives and the Brexit Party getting a large share of the vote as well. Yeah. Um, what are your odds looking like for the by-election? So we have the Conservatives as a one to two favourite um, and we have Labour as a six to four shot. We're 50 to one bar, so it seems a two horse race, which in reality it is, although we do have odds for the likes of Reform UK, um, Felma Walker, the Lib Dems, Sam Lee, Ralph Jackson, the Freedom Alliance, and, and even going down to the Heritage Party, the Women's Equality Party, and the Monster Raven Looney Party. Um, but it's mainly been between the Conservatives and Labour. We have the Conservatives as pretty strong favourites to take um, Hartlepool. Um, it corresponds to the polling, um, whether that's specific polling modelled around the seat um, as you have done, or whether it's just basically trying to replicate how Hartlepool would go on a national vote swing, um, of which we'll talk about later. Most of the support has been for the Conservatives, um, much of it coming with the initial poll that gave the Tories a seven-point lead in Hartlepool. Um, I would just be a bit wary of taking polls um, absolutely at their word. Remember, I am a big, generally, believer in polling and um, taking them not as gospel, but as a good guide. However, in Peterborough, and I remember this because I covered that election, um, the dominant narrative quickly became that the, I think it was either the Brexit Party, it was the Brexit Party, was going to win and take that seat. But turns out that Labour's ground game, which had been much more efficient in terms of door knocking, actually managed to just get over just get their candidate over the line there. And I think it'll be interesting to see if that's still the case in Hartlepool because the structure of the Labour Party has changed quite a bit. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, I think the Conservatives are in pole position there and I want to reflect that. I mean, that'll be interesting on a number of levels, not only just um, the results and how good the constituency polling was, which I always think is something worth paying attention to, um, but also what marks we have um or what markets we have going forward because the Hartlepool election is probably going to be seen I think as the most consequential one by political betters mm. as to what you should be backing in, in advance of the next election and we have seen some moves for that currently. Just um getting down into um the impact of the by-election if the betting odds and the polling uh, it's right and the Conservatives take the seat. What impact do you think that that's going to have, not just on the Labour Party as a whole, but specifically on Keir Starmer's leadership of the Labour Party? It will be a major blow. There's no other way to put it, really. Um, I, I think it will harm the biggest factor um, for Starmer, which was that he was meant to be the guy who, above all, was meant to make Labour an electoral force again. He was meant to make them electable again. He was meant to repair this big deficit they had in the Red Wall. He was meant to, I think, just be taken, generally speaking, more seriously um, than Corbyn was towards the end 
of his time as leader. And if you're losing a by-election, a seat like Peterborough, which, um, not Peterborough, sorry, Hartlepool, um, which Labour, I think everybody knows, has to win if they want to take back power anytime soon, um, it will be seen as nothing less than a big blow. Um, I think Starmer might have less authority within the Labour Party now than he did either at Christmas or maybe the middle of last summer. Um, there are various reasons for that, but this is really important because what other electoral tests really do you have um, in the exact situation which, let's be honest, he was brought in to fix? Um, if Starmer... I mean, there'll be lots of different opinions on this, um, but personally, you know, I would worry that if Starmer can't win this sort of by-election, um, either now or in the future, what was the point, you know, or what's the point of having somebody like him as leader? Obviously, the um, by-election is probably the most high-profile of the elections, but there's lots of other elections going on. And one of the other very high-profile one is Mayor of London. Um, you've also got um, mayoral elections in other parts of the country, including some which in 2017 were gained by the Conservatives, um, West Midlands and Teaser Alley specifically, that were seen as sort of precursors to what we saw in the 2019 election with the red wall areas going conservative. Um, what are the odds for these elections and how do you think um, the, the results will sort of affect the political landscape? Yeah, so we've got um, odds for the mayoralty in London um, and there are market odds for the other mayoralties, which we'll hope to have up soon. The Conservatives are, generally speaking, favourites in most of the competitive races. Um, Khan is obviously going to win London and do so at a handstand. Um, but in terms of the other mayoral elections, aside, I would say, from West Midland, uh, or sorry, the West Country mayoral elections, the area around Bristol, um, generally speaking, the Conservatives appear to have pretty decent leads. I think Andy Street was up by six points at, when the poll was last taken. And I think um, I think it looks as if um, he'll be elected again. Um, speaking the average um, price you get for a Conservative candidate there appears to be odds on. It appears to be about one to two. Street is um, one to three with that. But so I imagine if we get him put in, um, we'll have him at that price too. Um, and I think the pass score for the Conservatives um, is probably seen as um, retaining all their mayors, which they look to be on course to do pretty easily. Um, in terms of repercussions of those results have been, I think they might be lesser than the councils and the by-election and what happens up in Scotland or Wales. Um, not to say that mayors aren't important. Um, they can have really big national impacts. Look at Andy Burnham, look at Sadiq Khan, um, look at even to an extent Andy Street, right? But there will be less people talking about those results, um, a couple of which I think people already just factored as done deals, mm -hmm. rather than um, how many councils um, Labour are holding at the end of the night, particularly in Redwall areas. Just um, looking at the uh, London mayoral election, for a moment, um, 
Sean Bailey uh, is certainly uh, quite a, a bit behind uh, Sadiq Khan in polling. And as you said, it, it seems pretty much certain that Sadiq Khan will not only win, but win with a, a, an imp- impressive mandate. Do you think that the um, coronavirus pandemic and the extended length of this campaign, because of course these elections were meant to occur last year, but because of the pandemic, uh, are occurring uh, this year instead. Do you think that the extended length of the campaign has harmed Sean Bailey more, or do you think that his campaign from the start was doomed to fail? Um, yes to both questions, but more to the latter question, um, because it's just been such a terrible campaign. Um, you know, Zach Goldsmith ran a pretty inept campaign, but that was more nasty um, than just inept. Bailey... Um, appears to just have smashed the record um, for what I can only really describe as uselessness. Um, You know, there's been an awful lot of mis... what could be, I think, generously described as misinformation in the campaign. Um, He appears not to be running, um, in my opinion, for the average Londoner. Um, And I wonder if... Bailey's main purpose has just been to campaign in general for the Conservatives in London and to be a bit of a political prop for them, rather than seriously going at um, Carl. Because I can't believe that somebody who had an understanding of what the average Labour voter in London looked like, or even the average member of the electorate in London would have looked like, um, would have campaigned on some of the issues in the way that he has. Um, so I think, yeah, it's definitely prolonged um, the losing streak. I, I don't know if you could call it a losing streak. It, it's prolonged the agony, I think, um, for Bailey um, and the Conservatives. But I think he was always going to lose by a pretty large margin. I, I'd argue that taking on Khan in London, unless you have a pretty excellent candidate, um, was always going to be difficult. Um, and I think that's been proved to be the case. Now, um, one of the the other sort of biggest elections are the devolved um, parliament elections in Scotland and Wales. Um, in Scotland, the key question is whether the SNP will win a majority government. Obviously, under the PR system that they have in Scotland, this is a sort of uphill struggle usually, but... Um, does look like it's on a knife edge on whether it will happen. Um, do you think that this is likely to happen? What are the odds looking for that? And what impact do you think it will be if they do or don't get a majority? Um, it's a knife edge. Um, just to be frank, it's a knife edge in every poll. Um, it's a knife edge also with our markets. Um, we just favour the SNP not getting a majority. We're four to six about that. We're six to five about the SNP getting a majority. Um, I think much of it is just going to depend on on the day turnout. Most of the polls that we've seen recently have been close enough that a swing of a percent or two, so anything well within the margin of error, um, could give as much as five seats either way or more, Um, not to mention also um, what happens with the Alba vote, which is non-existent in some polls, um, but quite big in the panel-based poll, um, which was conducted online. 
Um, so if you're having Alba on 6%, that's a world difference to two or three and, and whether they can get the seat as well. I mean, it looks pretty clear to me that there'll be a majority of pro-independence referendum candidates um, who get lots of seats. Um, I think they're on course for a majority of 11, I'd say, or so on average, but um, looks somewhere around the area. But in terms of the SNP getting an outright majority, that's going to go down to the wire. That's going to go down to each and every vote um, that's taken in. I probably just favour the SNP not getting a majority. Um, that's what the punters seem to be coming for too. Also interesting, um, I should say, um, just while we're on this subject, the battle for second between Labour and the Conservatives, um, Anna Sawar has made quite the impression and it appears to be paying off favourably with the electorate, where two to five Conservatives win the second most seats um, in 74 Labour. I reckon it's not entirely possible that Labour can, uh, not entirely impossible, I should say, that Labour can give the Conservatives a really good run for their money in that. And draw so eight to 11 Albert to win a seat, evens they don't. Um, so long story short, I think you're going to see more pro-independence MSPs than not, um, but the framing is going to be huge. An SNP majority at this time after 10 years of government uh, would give one very clear message. Um, now, you mentioned uh, the ALBA uh, party there, which is, of course, uh, led by Alex Hammond, former leader of the SNP and former uh, First Minister of Scotland. If uh, the ALBA party is able to um, get some MSPs, and one of them is Alex Hammond, what do you think that that's going to do to the makeup of Scottish politics and particularly uh, the way that the Scottish uh, Parliament works? Because, of course, um, because of the um, uh, various uh, allegations that were put against uh, Alex Salmond uh, and the uh, suggestions by him that there was some involvement with Nicholas Sturgeon relating to that, this is obviously going to cause a, a great deal of tension within the Parliament. What do you think it could result in? How could it change the makeup of, of Scottish politics? That's a good question because I think much of it depends on how you see the movements now compared to 10 years ago. I mean, the Alba party is a new party, but it's old faces. They're nearly all SNP defectees. Um, Salmond is probably one of the oldest backers of hmm. Scottish independence um, that, that you could care to name. Uh, you know, he was Sturgeon's mentor um, all that time ago. So in many respects, it's actually the same old faces, um, but the argument is new and changed because, put quite simply, when Scotland voted to stay inside the UK, um, Britain hadn't left the European Union. Um, and whatever you might say about Brexit being done and the trade deal having been implemented, that's uh, such a basic structural and fundamental change in the relationship. Um, I personally do believe it is entirely proper grounds for um, a second referendum, you know, just in the base of fairness. So in terms of will it change the way Scottish politics works, I wouldn't say so. I think it will probably just advance the argument to the next stage um, where we're in a stalemate once again. Um, there'd be, I think, some sort of mandate you can claim, definitely for another independence referendum. Um, 
but it will be the same people doing it and it's going to be the same people refusing it. There was a really good point um, somebody made to me um, a few months back, which was just, it really stuck with me because um, they put across the point that you can't have by hook or by crook a Scottish independence referendum with Boris Johnson as prime minister. To me, it feels like one of the biggest factors um, if we have enough referendum in the um, upcoming future. Uh, it won't be granted during this parliament. Um, and I doubt any Conservative Prime Minister would grant it. Hmm. Um, so for that to happen, you would need to have a total sea change with Johnson gone. And then that changes, I think, very much the political argument the SNP are making, because there's no doubt that Boris Johnson is an anchor to the unionist movement. Um, another, um, it's not the Scottish Parliament, but the Welsh Parliament is also obviously having elections. Um, there's um, a very sort of different uh, mm -hmm. political scene in Wales than there is in Scotland, though some of the same arguments are coming up with um, with Plaid Cymru uh, making the argument for a Welsh independence referendum. Um, in 2019 general election, we saw the Conservatives gain seats in Wales, and there's also the, the new Abolish the Welsh Assembly Party that... Um, are hoping to pick up some steam. Um, what are the odds looking like for what the results of this election will be and what impact you think it will have? We do have odds for the said elections. Um, we've only got one party at the moment listed for a potential majority, and that's Labour, just reflecting the polls. Um, we are three to one on Labour winning a majority in the Welsh... Um, Parliament or the Senate, and we're two to nine on them not doing so. Um, I think it's um, pretty self-explanatory, although to put it in layman's terms, we don't think anybody will get a majority. Um, the performances I'm going to be watching are twofold. Um, firstly, the Plyde Camry party, um, mm -hmm. who actually lost a bit of ground in the last Advanced Comrades poll. Um, on the constituency, on the list, they stayed the same. And also the Abolition Party, um, who are 8% in the list vote um, and 5%, or sorry, 4% um, in the constituency vote win last poll by Savanzi Comrades. I think the Welsh independence movement is going to be one of the stories of the next few years or so, just in the sense that it now feels a bit more like the Welsh independence uh, movement has more stature and I think needs to be taken more seriously in the same way that we have always done for Scottish independence, in the same way that certainly recently um, since Brexit we've been doing for the United Ireland movement um, when I say taken seriously by the way, that is, that is what I mean in a different context in the sense that there's a lot more support for it quite clearly now in polls mm. um, and I think it's something that policymakers really have to take serious note of and so do electoral analysts so in Wales I'm going to be watching those two parties really closely the, the Conservatives have gained quite a lot in the last poll but um, we still think that Labour will win the most seats and do so um, pretty comfortably um, it's also interesting to note again we have a case of another devolved leader being a major asset to their party Mark Drakeford who's had pretty decent approval ratings for his handling of 
um, the pandemic um, as First Minister, Wales has gone with um, some rather more cautious approaches, some of which have worked, I think it's fair to say, some of which haven't. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, the nation appears to look upon him pretty favourably and um, Labour will be looking for a strong night in Wales. Those, those Conservative gains will worry them a bit. To what extent do you think that, I mean, you mentioned the way that the Welsh Government have handled the coronavirus pandemic. To what extent do you think that the pandemic has uh, strengthened the movement for Welsh independence? Do you think that it's given it a a bit more uh, life and perhaps helped people uh, come to the conclusion that they think that Wales would be better off outside the United Kingdom than as a part of the United Kingdom? I think it has done. I, I think the pandemic has really put the union um, in the spotlight. I think following on from Brexit, I think the two combined have had a major impact um, because you've now had not only the situation I'm in Northern Ireland and in Scotland, but also um, I think that situation now of a country where support for Brexit it's pretty clear um, in Wales and a country where support for the reverse is pretty clear in Scotland, both coming to terms with the actual policy outcomes um, of that decision. And I think that's the really key thing here because a lot of the times um, these movements, they don't actually come to pass. You know, there are various ways people express a displeasure with unions or, or their desire for independence doesn't really happen. Um, we've had lots of devolution, which I think has been important. Um, there are plenty of views on whether that's worked or not. Um, but now we have a sort of real world um, consequence. And I think that combined with the pandemic has definitely put it into focus. Not just that also, but because we've seen devolved governments tackle a massive crisis. And in quite a few um, ways, people prefer the devolved government's handling to that of Westminster. Mm. Now, some of that may be tribalism. I don't doubt some of it is. But I think there's definitely a case for um, looking at the way that Wales and Scotland have approached COVID um, from an epidemiological standpoint and thinking there were things there that the whole country should have followed on with. Indeed, there was that... I think six or so week period where it seems to be that Drakeford and Sturgeon were basically a week or two ahead of what Johnson was doing um, for a whole load of reasons. Um, not, not every decision of those worked. Um, there are serious questions to be asked about care homes in Scotland. Um, there, I think, down the line will be questions to be asked in Wales about um, why some of the measures ended up being, you know, in a halfway house, um, I'm not talking about the, the fire starter um, lockdowns. I'm talking about um, things such as those pub opening hours um, or being indoors and not having alcohol, whatever, stuff like that, which I think people will look at the end of the pandemic and say that didn't work. But we've definitely seen, I think, um, in Drakeford and in Sturgeon, I think a lot of Welsh and Scottish people have seen the people they'd like to lead them. And again, this comes back to Boris Johnson being a pretty bad advert for the union. Obviously, um, local council elections as well. There's, some of them were delayed from last year and some of them were 
um, scheduled for this year anyway. Um, there's 145 councils over around 5,000 seats. Obviously, we can't go through all of those, and you, you're not going to have you know predictions for all of them. But what do you think are the key councils that will tell us something about the political environment of today? I really hate to be this guy because I know it's cliche and I know it's all that people um, seem to want to talk about. And gosh, especially um, people who live in the South of England like me. Um, but the red wall seats. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bit of disclosure here. Sometimes I do get tired of the red wall coverage and, and even the phrase because we seem to put all of England into this stretch the country which pretty clearly has its own aims and its own issues just like everywhere else um so I think we should be careful of not just trying to put every single um bit um you know of England into the red wall but It'll be pretty important, pretty important, clearly. And I think I'm also important for lots of reasons. But one of the things I keep thinking about is the argument that's been made um, by many people that the Conservatives have been in power, but Labour have been... um, but, But Labour have had the brunt of anger for things such as local issues like um, poor road quality, poor transport infrastructure, poor schooling, um, you know, really terrible social housing, a problem up and down the country. So what voters think of Labour at council level, I I think is going to be quite important um, for two fronts. Number one, where people are putting their anger or where people are putting their blame. Um, And also just... Um, whether Starmer or, or whether Labour's strategy over the last year has really had any impact in getting down past um, just people who are engaged in politics. To what extent do you think um, we're going to be seeing in terms of um, elections? Because, of course, some of the elections... Um, that we're looking at under council elections mm. haven't haven't been up uh, for uh, elections since 2016, uh, 2017. Uh, to what impact do you think we're going to be seeing Brexit making an impact, the uh, impact of, of Brexit and Keir Starmer being associated with Remain on those elections? Or do you think that the thing that's going to motivate voters, whether to vote for the Labour Party or not, is going to be more things, as you mentioned, like uh, coronavirus and perhaps things that uh, Labour councils, uh, the public seed Labour councils are being responsible, like bins being taken out, potholes, etc. Um The Brexit thing is interesting because... I think a lot of people at at face value will, well, it's not at face value, it is done now. Um, We have our deal, we have our trade agreement, we have our effects. Um, I don't see any of that being reversed and I don't think people want to talk about it or even engage with it um, past superficial level of, you know, I don't want my prices to rise or whatever. I also think the pandemic has basically um, torpedoed its importance. 
Um, I think sometimes we can forget on a political level that all people have really cared about has been what's happened with regards to coronavirus. It's been so overwhelming, I think, that um, you wouldn't blame people for missing stuff like um, Brexit after effects or, or even stuff like climate change policy or even just on a local um, level, um, you, you know, bins and potholes and, and stuff. You know, most people now care about getting their vaccine and being able to go back to their normal life um, or at least something like their normal life compared to last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, it, I think that to be honest with you, the pandemic will probably be the biggest um, political effect of, of, of um, anything. I think things such as Brexit and other concerns, maybe people will have that in mind. I also think by the way that the recent um, stories about Tory wrongdoing and corruption, I would call it corruption rather than sleaze. I hate mm-hmm. the word sleaze. Um, and I think it's a labor mistake to play into that. Will have some sort of effect, but I think it's probably worked out well for number 10 if um, people just go and talk about the flat. Mm. I don't think that hurts Johnson um, or the conservative brand as much as others um, might think so, because as plenty of people keep saying, if it wasn't taxpayer money, it becomes much harder to sort of frame it in the same way that expenses was. Mm. Um, I think if you had of all the stories that were building up at the back end of last week, if you could have given number 10 a deal or no deal style choice and said the media will focus on this, I think you'd have picked the flat. Mm. Um, so I think it hasn't been a great week or so for the Conservatives, and I think that might be in people's minds possibly, but people generally tend to be interest-driven voters who, um, to some extent, I think, stick in their groups for whatever reasons, um, class, circumstance, and I think they'll broadly do the same um, when it comes to local elections. So I imagine actually that the YouGov poll we saw for that for those red wall seats would be, would be pretty accurate. I think people are aware of it, but I think it's also priced in as well um, with Johnson, who seems to have somehow pulled off the trick of being a new government, despite the fact that the Conservative Party has run this country for the last 10 years. Now, the one major set of elections we've not talked about yet, although I guess it's debatable, some people would say whether it's they're considered major, but in the eyes of the public, is the Police and Crime Commissioner elections. And this is the third time these elections have been held. Now, obviously, again, it's not something that's had a, a wide range of polling or much attention, really. But um, just in generality, um, how do you think the Police and Crime Commissioner experiment, as it's been, has has gone and how what um, value do you think it holds in the eyes of the public? I would say that the most important thing when it comes to crime is the preventative strategy and the overall strategy that a government or a city or a local authority employs. Um, I mean, sure, it, it makes sense to have, I think, good policing crime commissioners in theory, right? Um, I'm speaking hypothetically a bit now. Um, and I, I think you could say 
different areas have had different outcomes, but I think it's more important that you have good education, um, good support for people who are vulnerable, um, good support in things like family and child services, and especially good mental health and um, substance abuse support. Not that I'm trying to put the two in the same bracket. I think all of that, to be honest with you, counts far more than one commissioner, um, you know, at, or whatever. Not to say that they can't have a big impact um, on the running of a police force, but I'd say that this country's criminal justice system and um, its support structures and its policy, especially when it comes to drug um, prohibition and enforcement, I think they all have a bigger part to play than commissioners. But again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a criminal justice expert. Mm. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been wonderful, as always, to have you on, William. And I've got one final question for you of course we've been discussing these elections discussing the various odds the potential outcomes so my final question is what do you think is going to be the most exciting result to see and what do you think is going to be the most consequential result to see are they going to be for the same election or for uh, two separate elections what do you think I'm tempted to say that the most exciting result um, might actually be Scotland. Um, this is part political fear to part consequence um, mm. because the Hartlepool by-election result will come in overnight as per usual, um, despite the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Scotland um, and Wales are going to be a bit further down um, on that uh the welsh parliament seats um are actually sorry they're actually on the friday afternoon mm. um but scotland will be a little later um and i think that will be a more enthralling experience for the political geeks like me um than the first result um, in terms of the most consequential that's a really good question um truth be told I think in the short to medium term, if I can cheat and have two answers. <laughs> of course. It's probably Hartlepool in the short to medium term. Mm. Because the result of that is going to, I think, give or take so much authority from either Keir Starmer or to an extent Boris Johnson that the narrative for at least the next year in either party might be set. And one of the things I'm going to be watching for closely from a betting perspective is going to be, um, you know, what happens in terms of the next leader market. We've already seen some big manoeuvres in the next Conservative leader and next Prime Minister markets. Um, people getting on the fancy prices because they think Johnson is in trouble. Um, which I should say is a semi-regular occurrence with us. Um, people are always back in Wishes to be the next Prime Minister. Um, so his price drifts in and out. He's now five to two. Um, I think if the Toys lose Hartlepool and if they don't have a great night, uh, you can expect to see Sunat become like a twos shot to be the next Prime Minister. Um, and as for Starmer, if he 
loses it badly, or if Paul Williams, I should say, loses badly, that's a pretty big rejection of everything Labour's done strategically. And I said it at the beginning of the podcast, and I'll say it again now. Um, Labour's big... Um, the, the big theme of Starmer and his team being in charge of Labour, the big thing they always say is, we've got to get electable again. Um, we've got to appeal to these people again. Um, Jeremy Corbyn wasn't doing it for them. Um, he was seen as a joke or whatever. We lost, you know, those Labour Heartland votes or whatever. Um, so here's the test, right? Now, there, there are varying degrees of victory and defeat. But if, if Labour loses heavily, if Paul Williams loses heavily, that's a huge, huge rejection of the Star of plan so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, listen, politics is cyclical. There's a, there's a long, long way to go um, until the next election, whatever. There, there is time um, for Labour to improve its situation before the next election, hypothetically. But Starmer's been in charge for over a year now. Um, I'd be going as far to say he needs a result of some kind, I think. Mm. Um, maybe it doesn't come in Hartlepool, but, but Labour needs a result somewhere. And actually, when you come to think about it, it's going to be an English one. Um, Mark Drakeford is, probably, is a big representative for Labour in Wales, then Starmer is. Sarwar is doing all the heavy lifting recently in Scotland. Starmer needs to win something in England and um, Hartlepool, I think, will will have to be the place, even though I don't see him doing it. So I think the margins are going to be really important. Mm. Uh, Well, as always, uh, wonderful to have you on the podcast again, William. If people want to find out more about you, where they can get in contact, you follow uh, your thoughts, where should they go? Um, They should go to, first things first, starsportsbet.co.uk. Um, because we will have um, a preview video um, for the local elections of some sort. Um, It'll be coming out either tomorrow or Wednesday. I imagine it'll be out tomorrow. Um, You can follow me on at K-E-E-J-A-Y-O-V-3. And you can also follow the Star Sports account, which will have lots of political content on this week, at starsports underscore bet. Now we've got a YouTube channel and a Facebook page you can find very easily from our Twitter. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Oh, you are so very welcome. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast. Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.